Hello and welcome to Startup Europe, the Sifted podcast. This week we're bringing you our monthly longer form interview and this week we're joined by a British member of Parliament, Chloe Smith. Chloe is currently serving as the UK's Secretary of State for Science, Innovation and Technology, so she's essentially the government minister tasked with supporting the growth of the country's tech and startup sector. The Department for Science, Innovation and Technology, or DSIT, is a new government body, having been established in February 2023. Previously, policy decisions taken about the tech sector were governed by two separate offices, the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, and the Department for Digital Culture, Media and Sport. It is fair to say that Chloe has taken on the job at a tough time, as the UK, like many other countries, faces an economic downturn and a slowdown in tech investment, while other issues like Brexit are prompting many to ask whether the country's tech sector is losing its shine. We've had our fair share of people who have taken a swing at Britain's tech sector on this podcast, so we thought it was only fair to hear what the government is doing to try and support the country's entrepreneurs. Chloe, welcome to the podcast. It's brilliant to be with you. Start by telling us a little bit about how DSIT was formed and what was the idea behind it and what exactly do you do? Well, I mean, it's really great to have a chance to have this longer conversation with you because we are incredibly proud of having our new department dedicated to science, innovation and technology. And the department is focused on the mission, the vision of the UK being a science and technology superpower within this decade. And of course, this is really actually something quite personal for the Prime Minister, who is, as many will know, a huge fan of technology and of its ability to contribute to growing the economy. But it's not just growing the economy, is it? It's also making the kind of bold discoveries that will eventually change people's lives. And that's what's actually really exciting about this. I mean, if I speak quite personally for a second, you know, I've come through breast cancer in recent years. I'm sure many of your listeners will have been touched by cancer in one way or another. And, and you know, this is a department that is focused on life sciences and that is thereby making agreements such as with BioNTech to have a, a personalised cancer vaccine coming out later this year that will radically change people's lives and give much more hope than there might ever have been for certain patients in, in need of that. So we've got fabulously compelling subject matter, but we've also got an opportunity to do things differently. And I think that's really important in this new department. So we are seeking to be an example of innovation inside government. We're seeking to support other parts of government to be much more innovative as well. I mean, a, a small example of that is that actually I'm talking this week at London Tech Week about how we want to have much more expert exchange between our department and industry. So there'll be many listeners, I hope, who might prick up their ears at that call and say, well, do you know what? That's the right thing to do. We need to be able to work with government and vice versa to exchange people, to have a secondment program, to have a mutual swap of talent. That means that together we can get closer to that vision of really excelling in science and technology. And then the way I think to see all this come together is just as you said in your introduction, we are really proud in this country to have a really thriving tech sector. And, you know, it's the biggest in Europe. There's research to suggest that we've taken a crown off New York, actually, in terms of London being that leading environment. We're a global leader in AI, in fintech, in biotech. We have a great combination of world-class talent and R&D and a sort of pro-innovative regulatory environment. We want it to stay that way. So our big focus here is making sure that we remain that kind of titan in the tech world and in doing so continue to unleash innovation, continue to grow our economy and as I say continue to make those kind of life-changing impacts collectively between government and industry. 
I think it's interesting that you said that you want the UK to remain that way, because obviously the UK is undisputedly a leader in so many areas of tech and research and innovation, right? But I feel like from our vantage point, talking to startups and founders every day, you do hear concerns from founders of, is talent coming to the UK? Are you know the right sources of capital coming to the UK to support those later stage growth companies? Why do you think now people are kind of feeling this sense of unease or crisis, if we want to use a, a bigger word? I can understand those concerns. And actually, in answer to every one of them, you've got the government taking action. So, for example, on talent, we're focused within this department on how to ensure a really strong pipeline coming forward through school age and college age and university age and people in, in later life. For example, you could look at some of the announcements we made on supporting people to come into the skills that relate to AI. So on talent, we are confident that we've got a right program that will support people with those concerns that they may have. On access to finance, you've also got clear announcements from the Chancellor, and he repeated them again at Tech Week this week, around how we're supporting R&D, how we're making sure that tax reliefs work to do that. You've also got a series of programs around startup finance and, and scale-up finance. Now, all of those are really important individually. But collectively, we want them to, to act actually as even bigger than the sum of their parts. And I think what you might have is firms that are looking at the individual decisions that are right for them. But among them, you see some really clear messaging. For example, Palantir, just last week, said that actually the UK is a magnet for how they want to be setting up their talent and their, and their pipeline. And they said that it's a natural hub for their European age quarters. And in doing so, they're bringing uh, hundreds more jobs here to the UK. So there are really, really clear examples that many firms do see London as their home in that sense, and the UK as their home, and I, and I welcome that. But I can also understand that there may be um, anxiety more broadly. We've come through some pretty complex politics in the last decade. We've come through a pandemic. We've come through global supply chain shocks, which are, of course, entirely relevant to the tech sector. I mean, for example, we've all focused quite heavily on semiconductors in recent years, haven't we, in terms of a global supply chain. Again, the government is doing stuff about that here. We can go into that on the next question if you like. But, but the point is, we have all, I think, come through a period of, of quite some anxiety. That's understandable. And what we now need to do is to ensure that business confidence continues to rise, you're seeing evidence that it is. A survey from Deloitte just recently said that actually you're seeing the sharpest rise in business confidence among CFOs since um, the pandemic, effectively. And indeed, PwC is saying similar from CEOs as, as seeing Britain as a priority investment environment. So business confidence is up. The Bank of England supports that. The IMF supports that with their growth forecasts. I think people can be confident as they look to the future in Britain. So let's dig into a couple of those things, because I think it really is, you know, something that requires that multi-pronged approach that you talked about around capital, around talent, all of those things. Um, let's talk a little bit specifically about kind of the spin out and R&D side of things. You know, obviously, the UK has created some incredible spin out companies. And I think, again, talking with investors, people say, but the UK could do even more. You know, we could be having even bigger successes coming out of universities. What is the government looking at now to help support that commercialization of high impact research? Yes, a series of actions. And, and, and it's quite right. This is absolutely a focus in my department and in the Treasury as well. And we see in particular that, that we have that really strong success story in terms of top flight universities being here in the UK. Again, we're extremely proud of that as a starting point. 
But we want to make sure that the extraordinary work that they're doing then comes to benefit and comes to fruition much more widely. And I particularly want to see that coming through in public services, actually, for example. I'm, you know, a question that's in the back of my mind every time I see an amazing new innovation is, okay, this is great. So what can I get it to do for taxpayers? What can I get it to do in the health system or the education system and so on? So we are focusing on R&D, as I mentioned already, and making sure that, first of all, the government is investing more in that. So that's up by 30%, actually, in this spending review period. We're also then focusing on R&D from the perspective of uh, firms, and that's through tax reliefs. And, and again, you'll have heard the Chancellor talk extensively about that. We've got programs to help firms to uh, start up. So, for example, the digital growth grants, which I hope listeners will have been able to get stuck into and take advantage of. And uh, actually, you're looking there at something that has supported over 22,000 tech businesses, of which, you know, four-fifths are outside of London. So that's actually really important in terms of the spread of talent. We're also looking at ways that we can be sure to support scale-ups, as you say. So here you want to be able to have, a, again, a, an environment that has business confidence, an environment in which you know that you can get the next set of lab facilities that you may need, and we've invested in world-class labs. You want to have an environment in which you, you might be able to expect a cluster of really exciting firms to be working around you, and we absolutely have that. For example... I was visiting the group of businesses and universities in South Wales that work together on compound semiconductors. And that's a great example of how a cluster helps scale up, actually, because you've got an interchange of ideas and, and just fizz, really. A lot of fizz is, uh, is visible in, in clusters like that. But there's more, I think, that really will bind all of that together. One of the other missions that we have in, in this department is to have identified and then to support the really critical technologies that underpin so many other sectors that are transformative in their own right, but they underpin so many other sectors. You know, for us, these are AI, quantum computing, engineering biology, semiconductors, and also future telecoms. And these are industries and, and these feed into sectors whereby you will have an increase in confidence for people elsewhere in the supply chain, if we get these ones right, you'll have a growth in the economy. But also their existence in a reliable and resilient supply chain will absolutely help firms start up because they depend upon these products. Yeah, I feel like that's also been a big change both in the UK and across Europe over the past couple of years. I would say both policymakers, investors and founders are awakening to the importance of these kinds of strategic tech because with, you know, supply chain issues, we've seen how fragile, you know, our economies can be. How do you think about the role of tech in sort of that geopolitical framework as well? Well, this is a really, really major part of our thinking at the moment. And, and of, of course, I think we can all see that actually every nation is, is having to think like that. And, and as we say, we've seen some pretty strong examples of the need for supply chain resilience on a global scale. So the UK government is, is taking a very forthright attitude here, which is that in those five technologies and indeed in other sectors as well, we want to signal UK strengths and ambitions. We want to invest in the R&D, invest in the talent, invest in the skills that will support those sectors being the best they can be. And in most cases, that will involve building on strengths that are already present here in the UK. For example, in semiconductors, we think it's important to build on our strengths in compound semiconductors. And then from there, growing that industry, again, focusing on the jobs, focusing on the benefits it can bring, now, in many cases also, we've got then an opportunity to lead globally. And you'll have heard the PM say this at uh, Tech Week 
absolutely directly in his speech. He wants to lead at home, he wants to lead globally, and then he wants to be able to lead change in public services, as, as I mentioned. Now, the global leadership point, then, is, is actually where it's really getting quite hot at the moment, isn't it? And we could easily turn to AI at this point as a prime example of where we know that we've got real strengths in Britain. We're in a top three position. We also know that we've got a regulatory approach that is pro-innovation, but that is adaptable and that is flexible. We've set that out in our AI white paper. That remains absolutely the case domestically. And we also know that we can play a very important role convening like-minded allies to consider the guardrails that may be needed to have this technology developed in the most safe and responsible manner. All of that will, in turn, help, of course, supply chains at home, but I hope also create a more stable international order. Yeah, well, I think it's interesting, you know, Britain has kind of tried to carve a path between the lighter touch or lack of US regulation on AI, right? And then, of course, the EU is looking to enact some potentially pretty stringent regulation around AI. What do you think is the right approach there? Well, for me, the key really lies in being pro-innovation. Mm. And that's, that is the approach we've set out in, in the UK. And I think that's exactly right. You know, we do already have a very well-developed regulatory environment here in everything from, for example, utilities all the way through to how we regulate our electoral laws. And I pick those two examples because actually they may be in some people's minds about some of the risks that could arise from AI. We think that we can deliver that pro-innovation approach, that agile and flexible approach, by using the existing regulation that we have and the existing regulators to check the regulation is correct. We will put additional central coordination with that because we do absolutely need to have a horizon scanning function that can ensure we aren't missing anything. But we do fear that it would have been too cumbersome and long, essentially, to rework an entire legislative architecture in the way that, for example, the EU has. We think instead it is much better to be able to keep pace with a technology that is moving this fast. And we do that by drawing on our regulation rather than legislation. I mean, just on the point of speed, you know, had we had this conversation three months ago, it would have been a different conversation. Had we had this conversation one month ago, it would have been a different conversation. So this is moving abnormally fast as a technology. Your listeners, I suspect, will be either very well aware of that or they'll be at the heart of that. And therefore, we're absolutely confident that the pro-innovation approach is right to get the benefits, to do that in a safe and responsible and principled manner, but to keep pace. Obviously, you know, governments are, by their very nature, just slow-moving organizations, right? And so how have you, and maybe you can give some personal insights on this, you know, kept up with the pace of that change, right? I mean, even as a journalist, I feel a little bit overwhelmed sometimes. <laughs> it's a very good question, isn't it? It's a really good question. And probably, you know, at this point, it's also got to the stage where you're talking about it every time you meet up with friends as well, right? You know, it's broken through into everyday conversation as well. And, and I think, you know, therefore, we've got to be absolutely alive to people's insights some cases anxieties about that. I think we've got to be really empathetic in how we go about that as a government. But also we have to, again, demonstrate how we're going to get the benefits from this technology. So how are we doing that in the UK government? Well, one of our largest pieces of work will be what we've called the Foundation Model Task Force. And this will set out to identify 
the use cases of AI that will make a difference in our public services. I'm really excited about that, as you can probably tell. And it will also set out to make a, a practical contribution to the safer and more responsible development of AI. Uh, thirdly, it has a third objective, which is also absolutely critical, of course, which is to review the compute that will be needed and the resources that will be needed to be able to make prioritization decisions across the whole of the, uh, the stack or the value chain or the ecosystem. So, we are really looking forward to being able to announce a very exciting chair for that task force and to be able then to work with that chair to deliver in this way. And again, just returning to that theme about being a bit more innovative in government, you know, we want this task force to work in a different way than, than might have been done in the past. So we've got a brand new department also with a brand new tool in the box, which is how this task force is going to work. In addition to that, we are announcing this week further investment to accelerate responsible AI and machine learning. That's been one of the announcements that I've made this week at London Tech Week. And you've also got a great deal of focus as well on the interchange of skills and talent that will enable all this to happen. So, for example, you'll have heard the Prime Minister talk about new AI scholarships this week and, and again you know focusing really strongly on such serious areas as food and healthcare. So all of that is of course somewhat new work that a government is having to do. I think it's absolutely correct that, that our government and indeed any government ought to be acting in these ways because these are just quite simply some of the biggest challenges of our time. You know we can compare it to the birth of new technology in previous decades or previous centuries. I think when you start to compare some of the potential conceivable risks, then actually you start to feel that this is, you know, even bigger and, well, simply potentially more existential than anything that's gone before. That's one of the arguments here that we're having to grapple with. We think we can make a real contribution right now to ensuring that we get the benefits of this technology with minimizing the risks. Obviously, a lot of the big players in the most recent forms of AI models are in the US, right? And even we have DeepMind here in the UK, but it is alphabet owned. Um, is there a case to kind of jumpstart things for making some sort of a Brit GPT or actually having some foundation models that are actually built by the government? What's your view on that? Well, first of all, I just want to say we are really proud, actually, of what uh, Demis Hassabis and, and others have been able to achieve in the UK. And again, that's come about because the UK has this really advantageous position in the tech ecosystem, and we want to keep it that way. So I've been in really close conversation with uh, Demis and indeed also the other Frontier Labs and also all the other groupings of smaller sized firms, the real innovators that are working in other parts of the AI ecosystem. Engagement is really important across all those groupings, and, and I think it would be remiss of us, actually, if we were, you know, if you like, only having a conversation at one level. We absolutely need to be having that conversation at every level, because if this is the challenge of our times, then you have to engage, you have to listen, you have to reassure people, and you have to do the work in a serious manner to get all that through. I think the opportunity that we've got, though, as Britain, as leaders is really vast here. And, and that's because we stand at the head of like-minded allies and we stand there with that kind of heritage that is brought by Demis and others that says we've got some expertise here, we've got standing, and we've got the ability to convene partners. So I was having this very conversation at the OECD where we were just chairing the first global forum on technology only last week. Really proud to do that on behalf of the UK. That in its turn builds on many conversations that have been had at the G7. Uh, and of course, as you also know, the Prime Minister was in Washington last week having echoes of the same conversation. So Britain has a unique role here to play 
they really does stand on the shoulders of achievements of people such as Demis and others throughout British industry. I wanted to change tack a little bit now and talk a bit about later stage companies. Tom Bomfield, who founded Monzo, the neobank, recently has moved to Silicon Valley. And one of his kind of comments about the move was that US capital markets at the IPO stage were much more accepting of tech companies. Um, and there have been other companies from the UK recently, like Arm, which has said that it could list in the United States for similar reasons. Tell me a little bit more about how the UK can mobilize that later stage capital and create an environment for these innovative companies to make the jump from private to public. And is pensions a part of that? Big question. Let's, uh, <laughs> Big question. Let's, let's, let's unpack let, it. Let's, let's unpack that. <laughs> exactly. Um, I mean, look, first of all, obviously listing is a decision for any individual company. So you, know, you wouldn't expect me to comment on in any one of them in particular. But we, again, we start from the position here that the UK is one of the world's leading technology hubs. That is beyond doubt with world-class research infrastructure and open markets that allow for scaling up. And we continue to attract some of the most innovative and also some of the largest companies in the world. If you look at the size of the market, it's absolutely clear that we are one of the largest tech sectors in Europe. And indeed, our valuation at a trillion is extremely significant in global terms. Now, we want it to stay that way, as I've said throughout this chat. And so that's why you see further action on the table. So you've got it in my department in terms of the actions we'll be taking under our science and technology framework. And we've already uh, covered some of those. But you also see it very much in the chancellor's plans, in fiscal plans. He will be coming back actually in coming weeks and months with more to enhance our life sciences sector, our green industries, also advanced manufacturing and the creative industries. And within that detail, you will find a considerable package that is targeted at helping firms to start up and scale up in this country. We're also doing some quite detailed work, actually, in terms of listings. So Lord Hill reviewed listings, uh, and there's an amount of work going on to boost the attractiveness of the UK capital markets in that quite specific way. Turning to pensions and the possibility of gaining more investment that way, I'm actually really excited about this. And indeed, I formally led the Department for Work and Pensions. And from that side of the government's work as well, we were able to take some steps to unlock, uh, begin to legislate actually for how we can achieve these goals. The Chancellor is really clear that this is actually one of the biggest pieces of work he'll be doing this year. And I think that's really exciting because what you've got there is a treasury that understands that there are issues and challenges and is going all out to meet them. And again, is doing it for that key reason of gaining benefits through the economy, growing the economy, and then gaining benefits for citizens. Because, of course, that's what we believe in Britain, right? We are pro-innovation because business is the source of growth in the economy and the source of jobs and opportunities for people. So he has taken forward a review about how we get greater investment into science and technology. It goes by the name of LIFTS uh, as an acronym. But there's more besides that I know he'll be working really hard over the summer and, and into the autumn. Uh, I'm really excited about this. I see no reason why the UK and its pension landscape shouldn't be able to sustain some real boldness. We talk often enough, don't we, about the uh, Canadian pensions landscape, you know, the very famous Canadian teachers. Let's hear it for Canadian teachers. You know, their pension fund does it for everybody, don't they? But, you know, let's raise our sights in the UK. Totally. And also give people in Britain a piece of that innovation, right? Those companies are going to be the next huge companies in our economy. So it would be good if everyone could get a piece of that. 
sure. I think that's absolutely right, because, of course, actually, if you do this right, then it strengthens the pensions funds themselves, which is, of course, also critical. We should be looking to do this kind of move in a way that is a win-win, because you've got to be able to give people, continue to give people, obviously, the pension and security they deserve from their funds, whilst securing those other benefits. One more quick question. Some investors have also spoken about the fact that they're afraid the UK is no longer able to kind of get the tech talent that it needs here. I mean, great people in the UK, but people moving from overseas to join the ecosystem here. How much do you think Brexit is hurting UK tech from a talent perspective? And do you think there's anything to be done around visa reform or anything like that? Well, I think we have almost a hidden gem actually here, which again, we're talking about a lot at London Tech Week, but I think deserves to be recognised a bit wider, which is the graduate route that we have in this country. Essentially, if any company that is listening to this podcast wants to uh, investigate bringing somebody across from top 50 universities across the globe, then they can do so. Uh, for two years. And indeed, actually, the person doesn't even need to have a job offer. That is actually a really good example of a free flow of talent around the globe based on the highest quality of education and in this context of science and tech and research. We're really excited about that. Now, obviously, any country actually does need to strike a balance within its immigration system. And there are, you know, there are debates to be had around that. Um, I think it's absolutely understandable that that we have wanted to be able to take more decisions of, of our own accord independently in the UK. And that's what we're now doing, taking advantage of some of the freedoms that follow from Brexit. And, and in fact, as a side point, if I may add, also in my department, you know, we are legislating at present to get to gain those very benefits, those very freedoms in terms of data and in terms of digital competition, which we wouldn't have been able to do if we weren't outside the EU at this time. And the other thing I think is just worth mentioning in terms of inside the EU compared to outside the EU. You know, the, our vaccines during the pandemic was a, perhaps one of the biggest single examples of where we were able to move more rapidly than had we been a member of the EU. And there's actually another vaccine type drug that I'm really excited about that's coming forward this year, which is our partnership with BioNTech to uh, bring forward essentially personalised cancer vaccines. Now, I'm hugely excited about that for a very personal reason, which is, as I mentioned, I've gone through cancer and it's very important to so many others that we get those kind of things right. We are at a crossroads, really, where we can do so much more in our life sciences sector, and we will be chasing down every single centimetre of that freedom to be able to do that. Yeah, life sciences for us too, such a fascinating area and one that we're very excited about. We are at time, so I'm going to let you go, but thank you so much. This was really learned a lot. Thank you. Thank you for your time.